All right. Good afternoon, folks. Welcome to the February uh, Leadership Forum here at Soul Refiner. Uh, I am accompanied by my incredibly and inordinately beautiful wife, Christina. <laughs> and so uh, we look forward to addressing some of our, our most difficult questions that we've received over the months. And so, but before we get going, let's go ahead and get prayed in here and then we can get right down to business. So Lord, thank you so much for today. God, thank you for this, this forum. Thank you for these folks, these leaders, um, these folks that are interested in what we're talking about. If they're not leading, um, God, just thank you for this time that you, you get us, you give us a set aside to, to talk about you and just talk about how wonderful you are and some of the situations that have brought us closer to you. And Lord, while we wouldn't wish it on anybody, I'm sure that the folks that are on the other side would definitely say that what happened to them drew them into you. And so, God, we dedicate this next uh, hour over to you. And Lord, it's going to be easy to maintain focus after a little bit of church like this. So we're asking for that continued surrender and submission to your will, even in those difficult moments as we go through the next week. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. And I just want to cover a few housekeeping things with everyone. For those of you that are new, uh, this is a leadership meeting. So you'll notice a lot of people's cameras are on. Uh, you also have access to your mic as well. Feel free to turn on your camera. It is being recorded. So your picture will pop up if you were to uh, raise your hand and participate in the conversation. And we do share the recordings um, online. So just want to be full disclosure with you on that. I uh, also want to point you to the chat. We are going to be opening up the chat box onto the side. Uh, that's another place to engage with one another, and we highly encourage you to just open that up. In fact, we're going to get warmed up today. I think it'd be fun to uh, open up that chat and there's something new. And by all means, I love hearing where you, who you are and where you're from. But today, share your name, and I'm going to challenge you a little bit. I want you to share the last time you were frightened just some and, and not a long detailed explanation but like you lost your keys or you left your computer at work and had to turn around or maybe your kid almost got run over by a bus that would be a big one um but <laughs> the last time you remember your heart just racing and uh just that panic attack so we'll, we'll just open that up and can uh, can i see some of that lamar do you mind open up our checks i'd love to see some of their answers yes see we'll, what we're getting we'll get we our move forward <laughs> We'll get our chat opened up as well, and that way we can see things. Yes. Um, and then also in the chat, as you start talking about things like what groups you have coming up, please know that there are not just leaders in this group, but there's also some folks that are brand new to Soul Refiner that are coming here to possibly get plugged in with, with a new class that might be starting. So please don't hesitate to put that in there. You're starting up a Soul Refiner class. Uh, drop in there your dates, your times, if it's local, you know where it's going to be, if it's going to be virtual. Um, you know, if you're comfortable, or you can swap information with other folks to, to get them uh, into your fold, so to speak, because uh, there's a lot of folks out there that still need help. Um, and so I suggest to new members that they come to one of these leadership meetings, just so they can kind of see what we're all about at Soul Refiner, but also to connect with leaders all across the world. And speaking of all across the world, I'm getting ready to admit, of course, Bark from Belgium, um, it just kind of rolls off the tongue here a little bit. So uh, Bart and everybody else that's uh, joining from afar, welcome. Yeah, and I, I love that you just shared more about um, utilizing the chat because this is a safe place for you guys. Uh, we are not going to be sharing the chat box uh, and videoing that and posting that online. That's why we encourage you if you want to put information to the other leaders as to groups, things like that, that's not just going to be made open to the public. This is just for this safe space um, for you to share that information. So I did want to share that as well. So we got a lot to co cover. Are you ready to jump right in? Yeah, let's jump right in. This, oh, this I'm is... starting to see people um, share some <laughs> things that frightened them. Can you see some of those? Yeah, this is incredibly interesting. We have job security fears. Mm -hmm. We have physical fears from uh, a camping trip where the wind was blowing at 50, 50 miles an hour. Uh, never a lot of fun when you're in a tent. Uh, we have dream fears. There, there is so much here to be fearful of, so much here that's going to really kind of raise our sensitivities, and, and it's going to dovetail nicely into the conversation. Um, John, thank you so much for putting that group in there. Uh, that's got to be a big fear, especially for a first-time leader where somebody's going to be starting a group. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of healthy fear in that. And so. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So by all means, keep uh, plugging away there, share what your fears are, but we're going to dive right in. And as always, we'd like to start with the scripture. 
you'll hear Lamar say we're one trick pony around here and it is we go straight to the word so we love starting right there so if you have your bibles uh, if you can just open up to matthew 19 i'm not going to be reading it and you're going to be very familiar with the story um, it's one you've heard many many times but uh, this is where we're going to be starting lamar this was the story of when the pharisees uh, went to jesus and they were really split the pharisees were actually split among themselves excuse me as to about um, divorce when was it okay for them to divorce their wives is it ever okay to divorce their wives is it unlawful is what they asked and so jesus received this question and whether they were trying to test him trick him up whatever that may be his response Mark, wasn't to jump right into the debate wasn't to go straight for well infidelity i don't like that what jesus did was he went straight to the word which is what we should do and he went straight to genesis and he said oh i'm sorry um, that um, in the beginning, he made man mm-hmm. and he made woman. And together, the, the, the husband leaves, his mother and wife, the mother and the wife leaves, and they cling together and they become one. So Jesus's answer to this was to give the picture of marriage, which was beautiful. It was a beautiful portrayal of what marriage is supposed to look like. So the reason why I point this today is because so often the questions we receive are, is it lawful for me to divorce my husband? After infidelity, is it lawful for me to divorce him? Do I need evidence? And that's where we get a lot of the polygraph questions. What if he's not telling me and I just know it? And many leaders, you may have been faced with questions. What are some of the questions you get from the men in regards to polygraphs? Like when they're talking about it, what are some of the things you hear from them? Oh, goodness. And so, well, first off, some guys aren't even familiar with what a polygraph might be. Mm. And I come from a, a, a government service background. And so a polygraph for me meant that they were going to see uh, if I was holding on to any secrets out there that someone could possibly uh, exploit uh, for espionage purposes. And so it, essentially it's a lie detector test. Um, so not everybody is familiar with polygraph being you know, equitable to a, a lie detector test. And so when, when some men that are in recovery start talking about polygraphs, uh, I think that they kind of look at that as the end all be all kind of the the linchpin of recovery if you will and, and i think that's the first piece to address here you know what does that polygraph even mean what does it consist of what should the questions be um things along those lines sure sure and for me what i get from the women um they have questions they never even considered using a polygraph in their marriage but when they feel like they're not getting the truth when they feel like there's something not right, they're not feeling that oneness that Jesus talks about in a marriage. They're feeling the fracture. They're feeling the split. They sense that there is something wrong. And so they, they need evidence, they need proof, they want validation. Um, a lot of times these polygraphs happen, suggested by a counselor um, after a full disclosure. Do you wanna talk about what a full yeah. disclosure is? Yeah, so the, the, the first type of polygraph that you'll typically run up into in recovery um, terminology is going to be the disclosure polygraph. Um, so first off, when you're talking about these polygraphs, I think it's super important that you get the correct polygrapher, uh, the correct a- administration of the polygraph. And that is not uh, unilaterally um, always the same across the board, I'm sorry, that's probably a poor choice of words. That's not always universal across the board with polygraphers. Um, There are specialized polygraph folks out there that really focus in on recovery polygraphs. And And sex addiction as well. Sometimes Mm -hmm. that recovery can be sexual addiction. Sometimes Mm -hmm. that recovery can be drugs and alcohol, Um, but it is a part of a continuum in recovery uh, for a lot of these guys out there that, that specialize in polygraphs. And so finding someone who has that specialty is key. Um, there are some folks out there that will seek out a polygraph specialist that are only going to ask them three or four questions. And I, that, that is not what the, that's all about. A true discovery or disclosure polygraph and then subsequent maintenance polygraphs or accountability polygraphs, they're going to take a little bit of time. Um, and, and speaking to some of these experts, it's a minimum of a couple of hours for a true discovery polygraph. It's, it can take up to four hours for a maintenance or an accountability polygraph that can be an hour to an hour and a half uh, again that's right in the middle and so this is not 
I'm going to ask you four questions. And from those four questions, we're going to glean whether or not you're telling the truth across the entire spectrum of your life. Yeah. So let me just walk through what that looks like. A woman finds out that her husband's been unfaithful. He's either um, disclosed this information or she's discovered it, but he wants to fight for the marriage. He doesn't want to be here. He just discovers um, helping tools like the Conquer series. He gets accountability. And then along the way, um, he learns about um, disclosure from Dr. Doug Wise, maybe in Warpath, maybe in one of his recovery classes. So he hears about this disclosure and he walks his wife through the disclosure. That's a good time for that first polygraph is following that disclosure. And it shouldn't be delayed. And you hear a lot of people say, well, I'm going to wait and give her a disclosure after a year of sobriety. That is, a, that is just horrible. It's abusive. It is wrong to string her along without her knowing um, the, you know, what she is, if there's any um, thing for her to fight for, where she stands, um, that it's just a horrible place to put a person that's, that's, or a wife, that's something that should be done pretty, pretty quickly. And then the ones that he's talking about, Lamar's talking about the maintenance ones, that can be done at um, one month after disclosure, at three months, at six months, at a year. And I hear many men who do those, um, they actually appreciate it. It's a level of accountability for them because they know it's coming. They know it's going, it's going to be up there. So it helps them with their accountability to stay sober. Yeah. And so a lot of people do like having those. And sometimes a wife needs that kind of level of accountability at the beginning to rebuild that trust, to rebuild that oneness, to rebuild that connection. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about some of the reasons why you may have uh, group members that say, no, I don't want a polygraph. Or for the ladies that are going through uh, that have been hurt, maybe they're doing a different class and they're thinking to themselves, well, I desperately want a polygraph. Um, and so I'll address it from a men's perspective as, as, a, as a leader of, of multiple conquer groups and warpath groups, uh, a couple stronger together classes. Uh, this question's come up before. And if you're bristling at the idea of taking a polygraph, the first question to ask is, well, why? What, you know, what, first off, what, what has you concerned? Are there still secrets that you're not willing to let go of? Are there things that you're worried about if they do find out that maybe that'll be the, the final disqualifier, that final nail in, in the coffin of the relationship? Um, and so, and, and I would suggest that you can never get true recovery without all that stuff being exposed anyway. And so that, that's a, a great question to ask. The next question is, well, what next? What if it is the, the rare occasion that it's a false positive, meaning that you're telling the whole truth and everything's out, but the polygraph is pointing to you like a, a, a you know, a, a red blooded liar. You know, what's going to happen then? What does the rest of your life look like? Are you giving her all the indications that you are a truly whole man change theory recovered individual? Yeah, and I think we can paint two different pictures, Lamar, of what that looks like. Uh, I'm just going to use you for an example. If you were to come to me or if I were to ask you to do a polygraph and you said, absolutely, uh, whatever you need me to do, I'm fully transparent. I've disclosed everything. I have no secrets. By all means, let's go do one. Um, there's no resistance. There's no battle there. And then I start seeing other behaviors that match up with that. Like things like he's willing for me to see his phone. He's not hiding it. He's not hiding passwords from me. He's not carrying his phone into the bathroom. He's not being secretive. All his behaviors are lining up. Chances are I'm probably not going to need as many polygraphs in the future. It's the whole man, the whole man theory change. When, when a woman sees the changes, she's not going to be seeking out those polygraphs. The women that seek out the polygraphs are the ones that still feel like there's a disconnect. There's something being held back. That intimacy they're seeking and to restore and to the build that intimacy into me, you see, we see everything. She's not getting that. She's not feeling that. She still feels like he's holding back something. She's fearful and anxious, and that's why she's going to be pressing for the polygraph. And so this kind of you know, dovetails nicely with our, our relapse question. You know, are there a tremendous amount of little R relapse moments in the, in the man's life or, or in the, you know, the offending party, the person that was unfaithful? Uh, is that a continual piece to them? Are they, are they over and over again, these small offenses that, that just can't seem to get right? Uh, maybe they continue to take their phone to the bathroom. Maybe they continue to shield their phone. Maybe they don't want, you know, the computer to, to ever be uh, searched. Um, those are kind of things that really drive folks that have been hurt by others in sexual addiction 
to think, okay, there, there's got to be more here. Yeah. And that's why we talk about what does a whole person look like? What does that mean? But by the way, folks, this is team ball. I want to hear from leaders. Mm -hmm. um, if, if you want to say something out loud, raise your hand. If you want to put it in the Q&A, that's fine. If you want to drop it in the chat. Uh, but I mean, as, as many voices we can get here, this is an incredibly sensitive topic because you have some folks that swear by this, that are, that are hinging their entire recovery on this. And you have other folks that are looking at it kind of a, yep, it's just another check in the box to see that, or when I say check in the box, it, it's just another piece of the puzzle to ensure that this is going the right way. And it, it's, it's just another tool. Yeah, so Lamar started talking about the false positives, and that's when, um, like he said, um, you are telling the truth, but the, the results say, no, you're not. Um, and men are feel fearful of that, but women are fearful of the, of the false negatives. And I want to talk about what a false negative is and spend a little time here because guys have been able to make it or, or um, what is it called? Spoof. Yeah, okay, that's a good word, spoof. They're able to um, fudge the or get past the test. They're able to, to I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I've spoof. never heard of spoof. They're able to spoof the test. Okay, spoof the test, we'll go with that. So um, let me just tell you a little bit about what the test looks like, just to explain it to you. I think it helps if people have questions about it for you understand what it is. The reason why I asked you early on in the conversation about that time that you were scared is I want you to think about what your body did. How did your body react in that moment of fear? And I didn't want to ask you uh, the last time you lied. Uh, I thought that may be a little bit too much um, in, in this group setting, but the same sort of response, you get the same sort of response with lying as you do of being scared. And so what happens? Your heart rate increases, your blood pressure increases, your respiration rate, your breathing rate increases. You start sweating. That's another response. So this test was designed over 100 years, almost 100 years ago, and it monitors those things. It monitors your blood pressure. It monitors your respiration rate. It monitors um, your sweating. It even puts electrodes on the finger to monitor the sweating. And so what this test does is it first asks, the tester will ask control questions. Like, what is your name? Are the lights on? Where do you live? Just simple control questions while monitoring his vitals. I'm using Lamar as the test subject. So while his vitals are being monitored, I get a baseline right here as to where Lamar is. But now I'm going to be asking the questions about the infidelity or sobriety or uh, his recovery. And we're gonna monitor his, his um, heart rate and blood pressure. And what you typically see if someone is lying is the same thing as if someone is scared, all those increase. So you can see the difference in the delta. Well, the way men have been able to, and women have been able to spoof the system is be able to just change your control response answers. So while I'm asking Lamar what his name is, he's just got to build up anxiety by thinking of a hard math problem. If there is one for you, you're pretty good at math. That would be a bad example. Maybe he'd have to chew on the inside of his cheek or um, push on attack with his fingers. If anyone's seen Ocean Eleven, you've seen this. Um, I've never seen it, but that was a reference that was made. And don't go watch it because I, I have not checked that on, on uh, for clearance for uh, content. <laughs> I digress. So there is a way that as long as you change your control response and you have it heightened, then when you're asked things and even if you're lying, there's no difference seen. You guys get that? Yeah. So it's very, it's very possible to. And so women know that. Women know men can spoof it. So what's the point um, of having them do it? if they can spoof it. Yeah, that, that's super interesting. And so that, that's what some of the women wind up asking Christina. And of course the men are looking at me, you know, my wife is demanding it. <laughs> what's the, what's the holdup? Um, and you know, what, what are you worried about? And as you start to pull that back, you realize that there's still an awful lot between the man and the woman that maybe isn't spoken and maybe the full disclosure's out. Maybe everything is on the table already, but those behaviors don't change overnight. Those loving behaviors don't come at the at the the, the, wand, the wave of a Harry Potter wand. Okay, those behaviors come after the Holy Spirit's been working on not just the man but the woman for quite a while. And there's this understanding that yeah, we're still fractured, broken people, but the the big L love that He gives us, we're then able to give each other. And without that, there's no hope. Even even if we get a positive polygraph, we can still be living in a, in a horizontal hell that we created. 
and, and all the truth may be on the table, but until we're loving, it certainly is not going to feel that way. And there's going to be continued questions. And sadly, we've seen this multiple times where guys have gone and they were first fighting, 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 going. Then they find out how to spoof it and they do and they come home and they get their false negative and they're super excited and they're thumping their chest and the wife is left. They're going, but I know there's something wrong and now there's nothing there to support it. And he is saying, you can't ask me anymore. And none of his behaviors are lining up to what it looks like of a man walking in truth. And she senses it. So that's why we are just very careful that this cannot be the end all be all because there are, 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 are results that are false positive. There are results that are false negative. And those fractions and percentages change depending on where you look. Um, that's why even if it's 1% chance that the test could be off, uh, that's enough for me to question, well, how do I get 100% sure thing? And that's where I want to go. What is truth? And who knows the truth? Only God knows. Only God knows that truth. And to get to a place where you have peace knowing he is going to be the judge. He does see the lies. He knows where there's fracture. And believing that your prayers will be heard and that truth will be disclosed is what I like to encourage the women. So, so men, let me encourage you. What is that big T truth? And, I, and anytime I use the, the terminology big T truth or big L love, I'm talking about his truth, his love, the pure, the perfect, uh, the infallible love, the infallible truth that he offers us. And that, that big T truth looks like him cleaning you from the inside out. And then you being able to, to rest down that defensiveness, to hold that down to be able to withstand those seemingly withering attacks that are coming. Because remember, you may be feeling a lot better about your disclosure, about the discovery, about the completely being free from all that old yuck. But now she's way behind in recovery. And there's going to be some moments where it, it may seem completely unreasonable. Is your defensiveness down? Are you able to lay that down and not think that, but this is not fair. I'm not, I'm not in the yuck anymore. I'm not doing what I used to do anymore. And then being able to just withstand that and to do it lovingly, okay, that's that big T truth that we're talking about. And listen, she may never recover. You, your right behaviors may never result in the response that you're looking for from her. But that's got nothing to do with your obedience. He has to be enough. Our Lord and Savior has to be enough for you. And if we're blessed enough that there's a, a group recovery and the whole marital union can be saved, then God bless but otherwise, his grace is sufficient for us. And so I do see a raised hand out there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I'd love to get it. There's just uh, one more thing I'd love to touch base on before we go to the questions. And it is the, um, I, I, as we share this, the, the, I don't want people to be fearful when I share there's false positives, there's false negatives. There's some test results that say that only 83% accurate or 74 so there's what one in every four that could actually be wrong. I, I don't want to scare and say that the that um, polygraph shouldn't be used. I do believe there is a place for them, and when it is used to for reconciliation, and when it is used in love, when it is used as a tool to help each other and to not tear each other down, and and what does that look like from case to case? Uh, and we got to come full circle here because the leaders, how, what do they do with this mm -hmm. when people come and it's case by case? I'm going to circle all the way back to where we started in Matthew 19. If someone comes and says, should I make my husband take a polygraph? Should I make my husband take a polygraph? Or a man says, why should I have to take a polygraph? I'm scared it's going to be false negative, false positive, or you know, I'm all worried about it. Um, it all comes back to it's very simple for you. You get to use the Bible and you get to point back to the Bible and do exactly what Jesus said. And you get to talk about what the picture of marriage and reconciliation is. And then you get to say, how does your behavior, how does that line up with creating a oneness? What can you do to fix the fracture and step closer? What, and, and, what if, and for the women that are asking, how is this going to help? How is this going to bring restoration, getting this information? Or is it just morbid curiosity? Is it just wanting to be right? And so um, I think we have a beautiful example from Jesus as to what we can do. I think there is a, a place for it. A lot of men find a lot of comfort in knowing, hey, I'm gonna be taking it three months, so it's motivation to stay sober. A lot of women find comfort in that too, knowing I don't have to keep searching records, doing things because um, at least I have that polygraph and see if it lines up with his behaviors. It's a tool, but it's not going to be my defining tool. That's it. Mm -hmm. 
So lots of different commentary coming, lots of different questions coming. Uh, I will ask if, if you're uh, if you're going to go on a diatribe, if you're going to start monologuing here, please hold it down to a minute or so because we got lots of folks that we want to get to today. And so, uh, Troy, your hand was up first, so I'm going to hit you up first. Yeah. So, uh, Christina, you actually kind of will probably read my mind. I was going to ask you guys, what as a leader, how do you um, how do you respond when one of your um, when one of the people in your class asks you, hey, what do you think about me taking polygraph? Because my my experience has been that um, both sides do kind of view it as the be all and all. You know, that however it comes out, it's that's going to be the end. That's going to be the determining factor of whether you're telling the truth or not. And, um, you know, as we know, it's not. Right. And, um, and even, <laughs> Unfortunately, even if it is um, indicative of the truth, a lot of times people are still not satisfied. And I think that's that's the other thing we haven't really talked about um, yet is that sometimes even if it is indicative, people still aren't satisfied with, um, with, with it. And so um, as, a, as a leader, um, how do you respond when someone asks you, hey, what do you think about us leaving this? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, thanks for the question, Troy. I appreciate it. Um, I, I think it's important that a couple talks their way through this. I think it's important that whoever is mentoring this couple and, and a, a good polygrapher is going to do this as well. They need, they need to ask the couple, what does it look like if there's a catastrophic failure, meaning this goes completely sideways and it's clear that not only was he lying about all the other stuff, but he's lying about everything or the person's lying about everything. And also, what does it look like if it's a if it's a stunning success? What if the, the marriage is in total shambles and, and the, they can't even ride in the same car together for 10 minutes, but it comes out that the truth is all out there? I mean, what do these things look like? What, what is the response going to be? And, and I think that when you really start to face those kind of realities, that th this could be a false positive or a false negative. There is a possibility. There is no 100% foolproof way. Um, this is why we don't allow this in court. I think the discussion is worth it. That that juice is worth the squeeze. Trust me on that. So having that discussion ahead of time, it can really solve a lot of the issues, I, I believe, and managing those expectations. And educating them. I think that's our job as leaders, just like we're doing right now. Lamar and I are teaching you. We're giving you this knowledge so you can pay it forward and give it to them. Um, give them the information. You don't have to share your opinion. I am anti, I am pro. Um, that's not what it's about. You present the facts and then let them decide and just give them the information that, yeah, there are ways to spoof it or, yeah, that it might come back that um, he's, you know, whatever that result may look like um, doesn't align with what you think it's going to be. Um, but I think you're, you're right, Lamar. It does come about before you go in there having those conversations. Then what? So let's go walk through every single thing. Let's say he is completely telling the truth. Then what? Are you going to believe it? All right. Ne okay. Then what? What if it comes back negative, but he's still saying he's, he's telling the truth? Then what? And walking through each one of those situations, I think, is imperative. Mm -hmm. And I think it is very dangerous to be used, like you said, Troy, in a situation where I'm putting all my eggs in the basket, whatever the outcome of this is, whether or not this comes back, he's telling the truth then I'm going to serve my divorce papers. Very, very dangerous, especially if you have a man who in his behaviors and in his actions, he's doing the work, he's going to group, he's, he's, um, he's uh, in the word every day, and he's doing everything. And then that test comes back. It's a piece. Again, it's a piece. And if you make it be the piece and the end all, I think that's where as leaders, we need to just say, be very careful. Yeah. It's, not, it's not just the activity behind that either. It's not just the activity of recovery. Uh, we're known by our fruit. And yeah. I think it, as we look at the fruit behind that, yes. you know, are these relationships being repaired? Are they capable of being repaired? Is there a way forward seemingly? I mean, what is going on with the kids? What does the work look like? Is he becoming an integrated person? Yeah. Um, is, is, are there no more stovepipes and walled off areas of the life? There, there are so many great questions to ask here. What does the fruit look like? That's and right. so uh, I think that's Miss Roberts, I want to say Chris, but I'm not sure. I see K and S, and I thought it was a Chris. I'm so I sorry. I think you're next. I don't like glasses on. It's Katie. It's Katie. Yeah. Hi, Katie. Yeah. Hi. How you doing? I change it because me and my husband both use this computer, so 
um, he teaches the Conqueror series and, um, and I, we've been in a different group, but um, so I just, I am, was really curious about this topic today because we're like 19, 20 months into this and both working a, a solid recovery program. My husband, um, all the signs, you know, like, you know, full disclosure, everything going good um, and just working on peeling the layers of the onion. But recently um, there was a, a something that came up and um, it was an old behavior that returned. He didn't re relapse. He talked to his counselor about it. <clears throat> he pulled off on the side of the road on the way home from work and he just sat in his car. And I happened to punch up my, I was going to, after meeting, I was going to do a couple things. And I thought, I wonder if he's almost home. So I pull up my iPhone app and I see he's cruising down the road. But then I saw he pulled over on the side of the road. And I thought, well, that's kind of strange. I wonder why he pulled over. <laughs> and so I waited for a little bit and he wasn't home. And so I looked and he's still on the side of the road. Anyways, um, long story short, um, I talked to him, like, why were you on, you know, why, why are you on the side of the road? Like, that was strange behavior. Like, you haven't done that since you were active in your addiction. And he said, I just felt overwhelmed. I had a call out to, you know, a guy in recovery. And I said, but why, why couldn't you have done that in the driveway? Anyways, what happened to me was, um, I don't know, you know, the truth. Was he on his phone doing something inappropriate? Was he really just needing a minute, you know, I, I don't know the truth. And I don't know, I don't know if I ever will know the truth. But the response in me was such a post-traumatic stress response. Mm -hmm. All the things happened to me, the fear, the anxiety, the panic, the hovering, the, I got to search all your emails. I got to search. I mean, it just was surreal when I had been working a solid recovery and I hadn't been accessing his phone, his email, his, you know, anything. And so anyways, um, I basically, we had talked about renewing our vows this summer and I just told him, I'm like, I don't know if I can renew my vows unless I have a baseline of truth. Mm -hmm. And we had talked about doing a polygraph after full disclosure and he did all the things. And so I'm like, well, why do I need to have a polygraph? I don't need to have a polygraph. And so, um, I said to him, you know, I think maybe I want to, you know, revisit that polygraph. And you know, what he said was exactly what the right thing, Lamar, what you said was whatever you need yeah. to feel safe. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to have a polygraph. What guy does want to have a polygraph, but if it means that you're safe and it means that, you know, we renew our vows, I'm committed to that. And I think that, you know, what you're saying is true. Like we, you have to judge for yourself, each individual circumstance and couple. I would say that, you know, we have been working a great recovery, but I also go back to my husband lied to me for 30 years. And some of that time I knew, and some of that time I didn't know. And I'm learning to trust my gut and I'm, and I'm trusting the Holy spirit. So I, I really wanted to jump on this to kind of hear what you guys had to say. And it's just kind of confirming, you know, what the Holy spirit was already telling me. And that is you have to do what you need to do for your individual circumstance. And I absolutely um, am thankful for the journey um, and how it's brought me closer to God and closer to my husband. But I think that, you know, for us, I think that, you know, if we want to move on to the next step, it's important that he's not defensive and willing. And then it's up to me to get alone with the Holy Spirit and decide, do I need this to renew my vows or am I okay to, to let it go for another pass? Well, Katie, thank you. We love hearing that story. If anybody has any feedback, then can type some encouragement, ladies. Um, highly encourage you to chat and that, that um, use that box to connect with her and give her some encouragement. I think that was beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's wonderful. And, and, I, and I, I love what you said about that. I'm, I'm learning how to trust my gut, but more importantly, trust the Holy Spirit. That's um, you know, our, our gut is one thing and, and our heart, you know, above all else, obviously, Jeremiah <laughs> kind of lets us know about our heart. It's just about how wicked it is. And so, and our, and our gut's not too far away. And so as we bounce this off of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives, that's when we can really start to get to some of that big T truth. Um, and Katie, I think this is a beautiful example of going to God first 
as opposed to jumping to the polygraph, you decided, okay, that's my initial reaction is maybe we need to revisit this polygraph, but pausing and then listening to his response and seeing the grace in it and going to God and realizing, okay, maybe, maybe not yet. Maybe, maybe this isn't the right time. Mm -hmm. uh, always, always, always going to God first with the truth before a man-made machine. Um, it's, it, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I want to address one of the questions that came up in the chat. I think it's really relevant right now. And Ed and Lance, we'll get to you in just a second. Um, but what I want to talk about is something that Ted brought up in the chat about if a man is relatively new in recovery and he, he's not been able to do a full disclosure yet, um, what about some of these relapse moments as he goes through this? Is he supposed to tell his wife? Is he supposed to just you know confide in the group? You know, what is this supposed to look like, even though it may not even fit with what they're trying to do as a couple? Is there a hard and fast rule? Hmm. Uh, and, and this is where I think it's so important that when a man goes through recovery uh, for sexual sin, and sexual stronghold, that his wife does not get just strictly left out in the cold. His significant other is also receiving some care somewhere along the way. Somehow it's why we're so dedicated to pumping out some some new studies this year uh, to help the women and the people that have been hurt by somebody else's sexual sin and stronghold. Um, and that is why in that specific situation, when, when someone is there to help them walk alongside, that is when you can make that discernment. Does that, does the woman need to know everything that happens until she can get the full disclosure? Does she need to know that there's more, more coming? Is she seeing the changing behaviors? Is she seeing that man dedicated you know, to go into that community group, you know, dedicated to doing some of these things and then seeing some of the fruit behind that uh, as he starts to change from the inside out. Um, and I think it's really, really important that there is a sense of uh, of shared expectation there. And, and I know expectation, that's, that's the root of all disappointment. It's just premeditated disappointment when you talk about expectations. But whenever you can sit down like adults and be able to talk about things like, a fail a possible failed polygraph or a possible flying colors past polygraph what what do you need to hear from me until we can get the full disclosure um, do you need to hear everything that i'm going to tell the guys in my group and i think when a man's able to humble himself and offer that to his his significant other as a gift that's when you're starting to see a changed person when they're no longer scared of the truth and so yeah, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of truth, and you'll hear me say it over and over again. And even in the Conquer series, men are taught that you are as sick as your secrets. So how can you be sober-minded if you're still telling lies to your wife? How can you build intimacy again if you're not disclosing your sin and what your struggles are? So I'm all about complete transparency, complete um, vulnerability during the recovery process. And a wife's not going to know um, what do you mean you're working on a disclosure? I'd never even heard of the word disclosure in terms of sexual immorality or infidelity before we were in this journey. And so when he came home and said, yeah, I'm going to be working on um, a disclosure and I'm going to take a week or two and just and be, to tell me that he's going all the way back until the first time he was exposed to porn. Every time something sexual happened to him, anything he did sexual and what he viewed with his eyes, he was going to be giving me or writing out this disclosure, not just for him, but for me. That was new information. That was a lot to take in. And that warranted a conversation, um, but like Lamar said. And so between now and then, you know, what does that look like? I want to be fully transparent, but I don't want to hurt you. Do we need to have a safe person present before I give you the information? Um, I want to do this the right way to help you and include her in the journey. Yeah. She's got to be included in the journey and the decision-making process to house, as to how that goes. Yeah, she, you know, long story endless here. We made a lot of decisions as addicts without our significant other wrapped up in the middle of those decisions. And it's time to stop that behavior. When we make them part of the decision matrix, it, it can really change the relationship. So. All right, Ed, so good to have you in the group, man. Good to see you. Saw your hand up. What do you have for us, Ed? So uh, I, just to kind of, you know, obviously dovetail off of what you're saying. Hello, everybody. I hope you're all doing well today. I'm uh, Ed Alton from Salem Church in Staten Island, New York. Pleasure to be here. Um, speaking from, you know, obviously as a group leader, but more from personal experience, I'm just going to draw from like my own experience a man that is, you know, showing the true repentance, you know, second Corinthians seven, he's gonna like, he's gonna start with truth, kind of like what you and, you know, you, Christina and Lamar were saying, mm -hmm. 
Um, for me, a few years ago, obviously I was out for a walk. I was struggling with, with what I did. You know, my pastor and some other brothers had called me out by then. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, in your wife is blessing, in anybody else's is a curse. And I was like, okay, I recognize that as truth, but I don't know what to do with it. But it, because I recognized it as truth, I started there. And that's really important because a guy who's really committed to like what we're talking about, like just full disclosure and truth is going to say whatever you want, whatever it takes, whatever is going to make you a hundred percent comfortable. Uh, you know, and I always tell my guys, I'm like, if you're still wrestling with this cagey thing and, you know, I don't know how much I want to tell and, uh, you know, I'm going to keep my friend as my accountability partner and not my wife. And I'm like, yeah, but your wife sounds like a better accountability partner. It sounds like you're not going to fall if it's her because mm -hmm. you're afraid of what she's, how she's going to react, you know, things like that. And like I said, going back to that moment a few years ago for me, it started with adhering to truth. That was it. Like, that's how it started. My feelings caught up after, but I knew I had to be somebody that was willing to take a polygraph to get in front of my, my pastor and my, my counseling pastor and say, whatever, get it all on the table. So I just, you know, that's all I wanted to, to share, to say truth is where it needs to start. But I always encourage my guys, if the Holy spirit is prompting you to truth that you got to go with that. You got to like run. That's, run. It. that's it. It's, it's fundamental to establish any kind of foundation in recovery in a marriage. That's what a woman needs to feel safe. Truth, 100%. Um, and truth to the I'm mean, just to the littlest things. And I talk about this in some of our other webinars. It's not just truth on the big things. Like, no, I haven't masturbated. No, I haven't uh, lusted after other women or had sex with anybody at the office. I'm not talking about the big things. I'm talking about truth to the point of, yeah, I'm going to be five minutes late. No, you're not. You know, you're going to be 15 minutes late. So just say it. You're actually running 15 minutes late. Um, it's truth in the littlest things that make a difference. Because what happens as you get wrapped up in the sin, what comes hand in hand with that sexual sin is the, the lying. Lying. It becomes a habit and it doesn't go away overnight. You can give up your sexual sin before you give up your comfort with the ability to lie. Like Lamar said, if you've been doing it for 30 years, or we've heard someone say 30 years, that's just not going to dissolve overnight. So you got to train yourself to be truthful in those, in the, in the smallest of things. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I really appreciate it. Okay. Lance, I think you were next. Yeah, my name is Lance. I'm here in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, great to be with you guys. We have, uh, my wife and I, about six years ago, uh, everything came out um, for me and my journey and what I was up to. Um, but like, I think for me, I was um, putting out bits of truth and bits of information. And so about five years ago or five and a half years ago, I did take a polygraph test and then another one about a year later. Um, for me, it felt like, in a good way. Like I tend, I typically can minimize what I did in other things in my life. I can minimize, uh, I can put out some half truths. Um, so it just felt like when I knew I was taking a polygraph, I, I wasn't savvy enough to really know that it could be tricked. I didn't know all that was out there. I just thought, well, I need to really put, I need to share everything and not just some of what I was up to. And so for me personally, it, it really felt like a cleansing thing um, for a lot of anxiety and worry about it. But then I just received it as I um, almost like covenant eyes. That's been helpful as a tool. And I think if it's just up to me in my own weak moments, that feels like a fence or it, it's a helpful tool that still is helpful today. And for me and my wife, it felt like the polygraph was kind of like that. It, it's a tool um, and it helped me to be more honest and forthcoming and really put it all out there instead of just some of the some of what I had been doing and some of my acting out. Yeah. I and I, I help men here in Dallas, Fort Worth, and I do have this question asked of me and I do have men af afraid that it's not going to be very um, effective. 
but I do ask them, like Lamar said, I just say, well, you know, are there anything, is there anything that you haven't shared with your wife that you'd be nervous that would come forth in this um, polygraph? And, and so that's helpful. It's helpful for them to realize, no, you know, there's really nothing else that hasn't been shared yet. And so, you know, other guys have, have taken it. And um, I know some men that kind of do it now as a yearly thing. Like they know yeah. every year they they're going to do that. And I think their wife finds it helpful. And for them, it's also helpful because when no one's around, they know that that might be six months from now or eight or 10 months from now. And it just helps them make the choices that they want to be making when no one's around. Yeah, Lance, you brought so, up a lot of great points and I appreciate you sharing. Um, and for those of you that aren't familiar, like, uh, and Lance, I don't wanna put words in your mouth, but that trickle truth is what he's saying where only, he was only disclosing a little bit of information at a time to his wife. And each time she thought it was everything. She thought, okay, all right, this is what I have to work with. And then she would discover something else and then something else. So over and over again, that causes a lot of trauma in a woman, a lot of trauma. I mean, it's it's just like beaten, um, beat down over and over and over again, and it can become very unsettling. And it's a perfect situation where, yeah, being able to finally say, I have disclosed it all, let's do that lie detector. And to be able to walk in freedom and peace saying, I'll do it at one month, three months, six months, a year, because I have disclosed everything. And you're not worried about oh, I hope I can fake the test and I hope they haven't come up with something new. And they are. I mean, they're really on the cusp of releasing, being able to monitor the eyeballs that can't lie and monitoring your speech inflection and patterns, which you can't alter. I mean, they're, I mean, <laughs> they're, gonna, they're getting very smart with this. They know people are fooling it. I mean, imagine having to hold your breath the day before, you know, every month, every year. I got to beat the polygraph, got to beat the polygraph. That would be a horrible way to live. I mean, it's, it's just as bad as living with, with sexual sin. It's no different. You're still caught up um, the, and on the road to death and destruction. So combination of what the gentleman said before you, truth, always truth, and sharing how it helped uh, you, Lance, I think that's absolutely beautiful. And I think it, that's where is an example of where it can be very helpful to a wife. So thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. So as a follow-on question, um, a gentleman uh, from uh, up in the, the the northwest area of the country mentioned that how do I approach a group that has some some former sexual offenders in it, um, and the church has kind of really washed their hands of them? You know, how do I connect with those type folks? How do I let them know that you know the cross was for them as well? Um, and, and this is this is a, a very close to home piece for me. Um, some of you may know that my, my mentor uh, was a couple years in the Florida uh, penitentiary system um, for just such acts, and he, he's not allowed to to be alone, you know, with, with his own grandkids. And so uh, it, it's very near and dear to my heart. And and I think it was just this morning we're in, in Matthew, and we are talking about just how Jesus came for the broken. When you, when you talk about who he healed and who really connected with Jesus, it was always the most broken among us. You know, the, the first person he really ever revealed himself to was the woman at the well. And you, you go down to brokenness, you know, I think she checked all those boxes. I think she won the brokenness award, you know, for at least that day. And he didn't come for the pious. And, and I mean, he did come for them, and they have every available opportunity to come to know Jesus. But it's really difficult for them to get to know him. And so I think we as leaders get a chance to truly be the church whenever we start talking about that. Now, of course, I want folks to understand safety measures. And of course, I want folks to understand who you're sitting in a room with. Um, I, I think that's super important. And of, of course, there has to be a sense of safety on, is this person exhibiting those behaviors that, that, that rhyme with recovery? Uh, not just the behaviors, but the fruit behind that. And, yeah. but I just, I want you to understand that um, as you start to lead these groups and maybe you're doing it through a church initially and, and yes, God bless and amen. But as you start to lead the groups, you recognize that, oh my goodness, there is such a cross section of humanity out there that the church has really bludgeoned somewhere along the way because of a lack of uh, grace, a lack of forgiveness for their sins. Um, and maybe they've been just completely, you know, excoriated by the church. And it's what a great opportunity for us to be the picture uh, of what God wants to do in their lives. 
in terms of welcoming into the group. Again, safety measures are paramount there, but just being able uh, to, to walk through that with them, I think would be incredible. Yeah, we've been um, studying Matthew, and I, I completely see where you're coming from with this over and over again in the Bible when we hear who Matthew went to, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, um, and they 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 came to Jesus and they were just appreciative of being healed and and they walked with them. And um, but who did he have the most conflict with? Who kept fighting back and fighting back, fighting back? It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Like you said, the pious, uh, those are the ones that he kept going to, had to keep going toe to toe. They kept trying to trick them and test them. And so I see that a lot today, Lamar. It's um, we have a world of broken people, but in, where they're supposed to be getting help from in the church, they're the ones that are, are um, damning them. And so we have to leave the flock sometimes and go after that one mm -hmm. sheep. That's what we're called to do. Those are our peeps. And that's why we're all here. I think we all have a heart um, for that. But I like what you said, safety measures first. If you're going to be working with sex offenders in your group, then obviously minors shouldn't be there. And what time of day are you meeting and where? And where are kids by? And what are their restrictions and limitations? And what's safe? And um, absolutely, those are all things yeah. to consider. Yeah. What, what is the work that these individuals have done up to this point? And just because it's harder doesn't mean it's impossible. I think the hardest cases are the ones where you're going to see the greatest miracle. So jump in. Mm -hmm. So please, uh, any thoughts on that? You know, I'll wait for, for some raised hands on it while we uh, transition to the next question here. Um, and this, this was just a, I thought it was just a wonderful question. And uh, Cliff came up with this one. Um, and it, it has to do with accountability partners within groups. Uh, a lot of people talk about accountability partners. It kind of rolls off the tongue. Um, a lot of groups wind up thinking that everybody in the group has to be each individual's accountability partner, it's more of an accountability group and everybody's responsible for each other. Um, that can grow cumbersome when you start talking about true accountability. Um, as I tried to be that for everybody in, in, in my groups, I wound up getting 25, 30 texts a day for guys saying, hey, you got a minute to talk? You got a minute to talk? Yeah. Um, and, you know, you think about that, you know, one time every hour of a day that, that, that can get out of control. And so, um, I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on this. I think that in, in and my- And what was the question? I'm the, sorry. The question is, how do you, do you walk into a group and after the first couple of weeks, you say, okay, uh, member A goes with member C, B goes with D. So how do you yeah. line up accountability? Is that the group? Right. How do you, okay, so in your groups, what does accountability look like? Um, I can answer for um, the groups I've led for women. Um, it's a little bit- uh, different of a picture because we don't need that accountability for acting out per se um, and sobriety. Um, but something I teach every woman coming into a group is that you should always, the picture of accountability with women is you should always have someone that's further along in front of you and you should always have someone that's behind you. That I think that's the Christ representation of what um, it should look like in the church for the women, that you are leading and you are being led. So if you fall, there's someone to help you, but there's always someone there behind you um, that you uh, have accountability for because you don't want to fall and stumble them up. Because if you fall, they're going to trip uh, or potentially trip. So I, that's that's the picture I give the women, and I let them figure it out. I don't assign it. And, and I think that's my perspective as well. It's it's a naturally occurring evolution where folks are going to migrate to people that they connect with that can truly see. Uh, the need in each other, and that way they get to do that double-edged obedience sword where on, on the, the one swipe of the sword, they are sharing burdens with one another, and on the other swipe of the sword, they're confessing their sins one to another, and I think that's so important that we do that. Um, a special call out for the chat. If you have not looked at the chat in a little while, something beautiful just occurred. Uh, we had a question from a lady, and she said, hey, my husband wants me to pay for Covenant Eyes he says it's it's something that I want that he's you know he doesn't want to pay for it. Um, typically, Christine and I don't like to call balls and strikes. You know, we, we don't like to put on umper, uh, um, sorry umpire uniforms or referee stripes or anything like that. Uh, I don't know anybody's personal situation. Uh, I can only talk about you know what we've been through, what we've seen at end of our groups, and then lo and behold, we get a, a young unmarried you know somebody out there who, who's trying to get his life right before he enters into. A, a marital relationship and he just dives right in completely unafraid 
and he just rolls out this answer. So, Cody, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for having the guts to identify your situation and to answer uh, Jennifer's question with just an incredible amount of wisdom and candor. Um, I once had a, a married guy in one of my groups say, man, why is the single guy here? He can't teach me anything. And Cody, you're the exact picture of why I want single guys in my groups. And I, and I want to have a cross section of men and women to speak into each other. Because uh, even though you may not have that level of experience, man, you are talking straight from you know, a, a sense of, of responsibility to provide safety for the ones that you're entrusted with. So well, you can't leave us hanging. There's going to be people listening. <laughs> I'm dying to know what Cody said because I own my glasses. I can't read that. So you're going to have okay. to give us a summary here, sweetie. Yes. Yeah, so for the folks that either either won't put on their glasses or, 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 or can't find them. <laughs> I'll look for them, but I'm not sure that's going to help either. Cody says, I'm not married yet, but in my view as a recovering addict and future husband, it's my responsibility to provide for my wife and family and take responsibility for my sin. If he is fully recovered and not struggling, I understand his point, but as Lance just said, it's worth having it for those times you're weak. I believe 15 bucks a month is cheap insurance and support for you if that's what you need. Recovery isn't for one person, it's both of you, and it's about what you both need. Wow, so, Cody, wow, wow. Because I'm glad he was able to step in there because my initial reaction was throat punch him. So uh, <laughs> yours was much more graceful than mine. I'm not perfect, y'all. I that's <laughs> so you guys see that my number one block is is the throat. You know, I go straight. I I, I prevent the the you know. And so okay. you want me to pay for what? Yeah, please, please don't ever be physical with your significant <laughs> no, other. Don't, don't, I don't, don't. We really can't laugh about that. It's, it's a joke. Oh, yeah, it is a I'm joke. So it sorry. is a joke. I don't so, throat punch him yeah. often. So. Oh my goodness. I have bad aim, and, and so, I don't wear my glasses, so even if I tried, I'd miss. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much, uh, you know, for, for this body being the body, for for this community that people can come and they can ask those hard questions. Um, Jennifer, I'm I'm praying that your husband will come to come to these groups. I'm praying that he'll be in next Friday's men's mission brief. Um, I'm I'm just praying for a, a completely redeemed relationship between you and him. And I know that starts with a redeemed relationship between him and Christ. Mm -hmm. And so um, for any of us that ever sit back and say, well, he just needs, she just needs to pick up and take off on that one. Um, you know, let, let's get all the way to the bottom. Let, let's look at what the desired end state is. And it's to see these marriages that are, are sewed back together uh, through Christ. So um, any parting shots here? We're coming to the end of our formal time. I know you have something. Oh, no. You mentioned the upcoming webinars. So I wanted to give you guys a sneak peek as to what we're going to be talking about because we haven't sent invites out they'll be coming out today so we are going to be doing a co-ed mission brief and in lieu of it being valentine's month um and because it's another topic that we didn't talk on today but that we get the most questions about sex and so we will be revisiting the topic of sex and what is healthy sex in recovery because there are so many women that are fearful of, well, am I just, you know, feeding his addiction if we have sex? And there's so many men that are fearful of, am I ready to have sex? So we're we're getting very personal this month on talking about sex. So if you are interested or if you have people in your group, please share the link, um, invite them. And if they can't make it, we do record those as well. And they can uh, catch it on our Soul Refiner Facebook page. Mm -hmm. mm. So we're, we're excited to share that next week. And again, it'll, it'll be a joint effort. Um, and remember the webinars, uh, folks can't see if, if you know who you are in the meetings, even if you're talking, um, I'm sorry, there is no anybody else talking in the, in the webinars. I apologize for that. But even if you, you know, text in, or even if you make a comment, uh, they can't see who's in those. So, but you do have access to the chat, which is super uh, beneficial. That's where people can ask their questions and other people that are here. I like you guys. I mean, you guys are our leaders. If you're there, by all means, participate and answer those questions for the newbies and the ones coming in that you have answers for expertise or wisdom to share. We're relying on you because we can't hit those while we are um, answering the questions and presenting the content. So we invite you guys. Uh, and we have some fantastic people here that do help us, Troy and Tracy and Bart and Rachel. And I see some at the cliff is always available to have help Micah. Micah yeah. um, comes in and, and helps. So I just, Todd, he's another go-to. Yep, I see a lot of guys here that um, I'm calling you in. I'm inviting you, come help. We need as much help and encouragement for the other people yeah. as we can get. 
Yep. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't call your name through some accident of omission, uh, please don't be butt hurt. Please come and still help. Oh, no, that's, that's a crude comment. We <laughs> oh, don't sorry. Say that. Sorry. We don't say that. That's a little too crass. Yeah, I apologize not, for that. Yeah. So, all right, team. Let's go ahead and pray out uh, for this incredible meeting. I, I thank you so much for your candor. Thank you for your wisdom. Uh, Cody, thank you for your attendance and, and for really just manning up and, and, and working that through with Jennifer. So, mm-hmm. Lord, uh, we, th- we thank you so much for this team. We, we thank you uh, for these hard topics, uh, for these difficult moments where we can really kind of come together and, and look to you uh, for that truth and for that grace. Um, and Lord, and knowing that, that you are one in both, um, just as you were fully God and fully man, you are fully grace and you are fully truth. And so, Lord, we we err to you, meaning that we err to the side of, of what, what does God say about this? What, is, what does Jesus exemplify throughout his walk here? And then, and then what do those apostles talk to us about as they go through that, that, that period um, right after you left us, Lord? And so we seek you, God. We submit to you. And even in those hard moments in a few days from now, when, when this is all wearing off and we don't remember anything that was discussed, um, as long as we're rooted in you, Lord, we have a fighter's chance. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Great seeing you leaders. Thank you for the work you're doing. And you'll be getting a survey following this. If you have any questions or if you have any prayer requests for Lamar and I, um, just make sure you include your email because it's all anonymous. So any questions or prayer requests, just let us know. And we're here for you. So have a good one. Bye.